0: Hello there, you're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to talk about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend.
1: And at long last, we'll be discussing master filmmaker Martin Scorsese's newest picture, Killers of the Flower Moon. To start out with some news, we have tragic news. Matthew Perry has passed away at aged at age 54. He was found unresponsive in his jacuzzi at his home. So far, there has not been an official cause of death that's been announced. Foul play has been ruled out. The toxicology report is pending, but at least from what has been described of how things were around him, it doesn't seem like he was... On alcohol or using drugs or anything like that so it's unlikely then he overdosed but again they're still determining the cause of death Matthew perry of course one of the stars of friends as well as a few movies whole nine yards full rush in 17 again he was one of i think two people that along with michael j fox had ever had the number one show and the number one movie at the same time um, so an absolutely tragic loss for uh, one of the great actors in the industry, comedic actors. Um, But he also did a lot of work beyond the screen dealing with uh, addiction recovery. He was an advocate for that. He spoke about his own struggles that he's had for much of his life. Uh, That was the topic of his recently released memoir. I think it was last year that it came out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, he's definitely been, Outspoken about wanting his impact to not just be one of the people on Friends, but to also be uh, that he tried to share his story and help uh, many, many addicts along the way. So, yeah, absolutely tragic loss.
0: Yeah, it's it's truly, truly sad. I mean, it's just completely unexpected to just not not the thing that I thought would be happening last week, last Saturday yeah it was uh
1: it was wow you called me Mm -hmm. and said are you sitting down and I said no should I be and then I'm glad that I did sit down because that's insane you told me it was dead and I was like no way I was talking with someone else before about like celebrity deaths and the ones that stick with you ones like Kobe Bryant stuff like that this is definitely a very memorable one because I don't know that I've been called before and had someone be like, "This person passed away." But uh, you were
0: the when I found out, you were the first person I thought of, and I was like, "He needs to know." Like, if he doesn't know already, <laughs> someone needs to call him and, and break the news to him gently because I know how important friends is to you, and I know that Matthew Perry was your favorite actor on that show. Absolutely, and so I, yeah. knew, I knew that this was going to be a very impactful moment this year for you. Yeah. The Chan Chan Man was definitely yeah. my
1: number one favorite of the Friends. And the show itself is definitely my comfort show. I think it's my favorite sitcom by far. It is a lovely, lovely show. And so I did this past week. I was watching a few episodes of Friends. Um, God, it's so good. It's so amazing. And he's so fantastic, which is he's why incredible. it's so, yeah. so sad. Because yeah, he's immensely talented, very funny, very witty. Um, and unfortunately, just from like an accident that he had while working on the show, it was a jet ski accident, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. And then as part of the recoveries, but on opioids, and we see this happen time and time again where people just get hooked on that. Um, and even before then, he had issues with alcohol. And so he had a very rough life. And especially like in recent years, uh, even before the reunion, but during the reunion, I mean, you could tell like him compared to the other cast members. Um, he just, yeah, it came off much more sorrowful and it was, it, it was tough seeing him not be that spry, fun self that uh, he was. I could always make anyone laugh and feel warm. So I'm glad that at least this past year and a half, it, it seems like he was in a much better place. Like he, I had seen some interviews like months and months ago of him talking about his book. Talking about the experience of writing that, and it seemed like it was a great way to release a lot of the burdens that he was carrying. And by that point, again, I mean, he was sober. So, again, for all we know, again, OD wasn't a factor in his death. um But yeah, it, it sucks that this happened out of nowhere, out of the blue, and he wasn't able to have uh, a much longer life where he did feel in that good place. Like he got to a nice situation. Um, and he was taken away too soon. That's just so, that's the most tragic part about it. Like he had gotten better. He was there. He was great. And he didn't have a chance to have a career comeback. Um, but even like some of the things that he was talking about wanting to do in terms of, again, like addiction recovery, I know he had done one before, but he wanted to do another one of like a rehabilitation center, um, and doing more like outreach things along those lines. So, just so sad. And I was thinking as well too over the past week, like the response from the castmates. I mean, can you imagine? You're thrown into this whirlwind scenario all together, all at once, where you go pretty much into becoming overnight sensations. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: By far, the most like recognizable ensemble cast on television. I mean, Seinfeld was there, but then once that ended, I mean, it was like Friends. That was the biggest show on television. And for 10 years, like the amount of change that happens over when they started the show to when they ended it, and you're there together day in, day out, five days a week, most of the year, 12 hours per day, um, you become so close shortly. And so I was just thinking of all of them during this past week and how brutal it must have been when they got the news broken to them. Mm -hmm. That just made me like that. Hurt my heart so deeply to imagine who was calling them and breaking the news to them. Yeah, uh, that's just awful,
0: terrible, absolutely painful. Yeah.
1: In other news, Variety had released an article this past week. I don't know if you heard about it or got a chance to look at it, but it was all about the state of Marvel and how it is in shambles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're talking about the whole Jonathan Majors situation and how are they going to adjust to that since they were building up his Kang, the conqueror to be the big bad of the multiversal saga. Loki season two, I think is still currently airing with Jonathan Majors being like one of the main people in that being the villain. So they're trying to figure that out. There's been apparently reports of them considering bringing back all the OG Avengers, including Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, in order to just revive the franchise, basically bring back those familiar faces that everyone loved um, and try and find a way to work in some sort of soft reboot. So they may ditch Kang Dynasty entirely and just have Secret Wars be their big collision, again, drawing on the big names like RDJ, people like Tobey Maguire, Hugh Jackman, like, oh, let's throw them all together in one big thing. And then let's Do a soft reboot and then we're restarting with like Iron Man and Captain America again and all that. So, yeah, things are not looking
0: great for them at the moment. Again, superhero fatigue has definitely been setting in. I think it's on the way out. I think a new trend is going to start coming in pretty soon. And I think superhero movies are by the wayside pretty much.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely see. Later this year, because again, Loki, Loki is coming out, but I haven't heard much buzz about that. Mm. And then the Marvels come out later this year. So we'll see how that does. Um, but then they just dropped the trailer for Echo, yeah. which will be on Disney+. Plus. I watched it. The trailer looks good. And I was like, wow. That must be because of the Better Call Saul writer that is on that show. Um, and they're doing it <laughs> as a TVMA, so it's more mature. So that one, I think we talked about before, like way back when, whenever we were first discussing it, but that seems like it would be the and or to the Marvel Disney Plus shows. Like the one so. that is actually yeah coming in with a comparatively obscure character. And then they just allow the creatives to come in and have free reign rather than it being like these producers, studio execs looking down and making sure, oh, we got to make sure it fits in with this piece of the puzzle that we're trying to build out for phase four or five or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It just seems like it'll be a nice, like director, showrunner driven show that doesn't care so much about the overall like continuity of Marvel. Yeah. Um, So yeah, the trailer definitely impressed me. We'll see though. I'll have to listen in on how people are receiving it when it comes out. But yeah, if that if Marvel's that, which is coming out in January, um, continue to flop, I just, I don't know what they're going to do. Like Deadpool 3 might be the only, and then the Avengers films might be the only surefire hits that Marvel can rely on now, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Like imagine that, f- saying that uh, back when Endgame happened, when it was so on top of the world, for it to
0: fall down so rapidly, just wild yeah i'm not surprised it's about time let's move on to a new phase well, you were, were praying on their downfall a little bit yeah. <laughs> i can yeah. just see it coming from miles away and i'm, I'm very glad that the i mean they, they they i don't know what i'm trying to say here but i'm glad that it happened it's about time <laughs> gotcha all right let's move on to the box office breakdown for
1: october 27th to the 29th five nights at freddy's with a
0: monster they, opening, oh, that's of, what I was trying to say. They reap what they sow. This is <laughs> oh, they reap what they <laughs> really way, yeah. I was trying to remember the phrase and I couldn't do it. They reap what they sow. There we go. Okay,
1: yeah,
0: I'm glad. Five you Nights at Freddy's. Glad you got it out. Five Nights at
1: Freddy's. Yes, a monster opening of eighty million dollars. What the heck? It came out on the high end of the projections that we that's had crazy. mentioned last week wild it's the second highest opening for a video game adaptation behind only mario from earlier this year mm-hmm. and it is the third highest growing highest uh opening for a horror film behind both it films so huge huge debut and this is all of course despite the fact that it was on peacock for day and date so people could have stayed home and watched it there. but Enough people came out to make it one of the biggest openings ever for a video game and a horror franchise. Insanity.
0: Absolutely. Maybe video game adaptations are going to be the new big trend. We've been we've been predicting it that is, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I think with Mario, Last of Us, and now
1: Five Nights at Freddy's, like it just seems like it's definitely going to be the case. Although, and this is what's key about all those things, the creators were heavily involved. So yeah. hopefully. Hollywood's going to realize that is the thing. Because they've been trying to do video game movies for decades. But it's only now that they're like, okay, what if we actually try to appeal to the fan base, bring in the creator to help steer the ship a bit. Um, And then you'll see. I mean, it gets rewarded. Like, this is insane. So, I think that will definitely be the trends. Everything under the sun is going to start getting adapted. Um, There's already a bunch in the works. We've talked about those in previous shows. So, we'll just have to see. How successful each of them are going to be is going to be a case by case basis, or will it be a true trend? The tide raises all ships, similar to how superhero movies were just all the rage in the twenty tens, twenty twenties, maybe the year of
0: the video game adaptations or the decade rather. Yep, indeed. Coming in second place, Taylor Swift the Eras Tour, fifteen point four million, still holding on strong,
1: mm-hmm. beating out Killers of the Fire and Moon with nine point three million in its second weekend.
0: After that was After Death with five million, Exorcist Believer three point two million, Paw Patrol: The Mighty Movie two point three million, The Nightmare
1: Before Christmas again still killing it on this uh, awesome r- random re release two
0: point one million, Freelance two million, Saw X one point seven million, and The Creator coming in right at the end with one million. It's good that uh, everything got at least over one million. Yeah, good For the weekend. holiday
1: weekend. Yeah. yeah. For next weekend, no big releases. So I'm curious, what do you think Five Nights at Freddy's 2nd weekend will look like? Was it front-loaded because of all the FNAF mm. fans coming out in droves
0: or will it have staying power? I think it's going to have a, a very steep drop off like the Marvel movies, so I'm going to go with uh 32 million. I think it's going to make less or I think it's going to have more than 50% drop yeah for
1: sure and i think yeah probably over um a 60 percent drop i think it may drop below 30 million just because again that whole like peacock thing i feel like the hardcore fans went out this weekend but if you like hear about it i feel like people would just be like oh i might check that out then since it was like this random sensation i'll check that out at home but i mean we were wrong with the opening weekend who knows second weekend could be huge as well but i'm thinking 28 million,
0: 29 million. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to our main topic of discussion. Finally, after years and years of reporting and waiting and desiring, we have gotten Martin Scorsese's adaptation of David Grand's novel, Killers of the Flower Moon, a book that I read a long, long time ago when I heard Martin Scorsese was going to adapt it. And ever since reading it, I have been very, very, very excited for the movie to come out. Mars he made it with a $200 million budget courtesy of Apple TV+, and it was starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Jesse Plemons, and Lily Gladstone. I don't understand how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I'm sorry. In our, in our script, I'm reading it, and he wrote down the, the actor's name, and he put Lily Collins instead of Lily Gladstone. <laughs> <laughs> For the first time ever, I corrected myself before reading it. Could you imagine my name? Lily Collins. God, that so, so funny. funny. I just don't. So know. I mean, because I
1: always, I'm like, okay, I got it. Well, even David Grant, I put that down where I was like, I think that's the name, and I was like, check that later, and I checked that one, but I was too confident, I guess, in getting the uh, those actors' names that I didn't go double check myself with uh, Lily Gladstone. That's so yeah. funny. I never, I don't <laughs> n- care about Lily Collins. I don't know why her name got in there. I don't know why that was in my head. Hey, what's
0: wrong with Lily Collins?
1: Nothing against her, but I'm just not thinking about it like that. I don't know why Collins <laughs> replaced Gladstone in there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I should know too, because the whole Emma Stone versus Lily Gladstone, it seems like that'll be the best actress matchup this yeah, season. Sure. So Stone be
0: Stone. Yeah, I suppose I, so. I wasn't remembering that. Now you and I have been dying to see this movie for a long, long time, and so you and I went together to go see it. Sure did. How how excited were you for this movie? What were your what was going into it like?
1: I was very excited. I must say, it was uh, a tumultuous time
0: getting there, dude. Fucking tell me about it.
1: Well, for multiple reasons. One, well, it was my car it was having some issues i was like i don't know if i'm gonna make it really it's gonna be the last thing i ever do with this car yeah Man. it was rough um was it so, just not starting still working on that uh no the whole like coolant system is destroyed so oh shit i need to uh, get that fixed so i've been so your uh, car's just overheating yes you but it's like slow i guess well yeah but even then it gets to the point it's, where it's like really high, starting yeah. To overheating yeah so and it's just straight up like i replenished it with coolant right i went into i did a target run when i was there because i had done it not too long before so i'm like this should not be happening but i'm like okay let me go get some coolant so that after the movie i can fill it up and then make it home and then it worked for a couple of days and then again it starts doing the thing like oh engine is getting too hot and so i'm like are you, are you leaking coolant yes it's like oh jesus i can see it like i replenished, replenished uh some of it earlier today because it was starting to happen again, and I was like looking at the leak, and I was like, "That's a big leak." So I need to get that repaired as quickly as possible. But for going to Killers of the Flower Moon, yeah, it was it was tough because it was like straight up, it was beeping at me. The thing was like overheating. The engine power got reduced, so yeah. I was like, "This could be it. Like this is the last thing this car needs to do, but it needs to get me to that theater so I yeah. can watch Killers
0: of the Flower Moon." And worst um, of and all, it did that, we made it. So. Worst of all, the parking lot and theater were packed with teenagers for Five Nights at Freddy. Oh my God, it was Very, insane. True.
1: That was the other crazy part. You had said that, and I did not believe it. But walking
0: in, yeah, it was just infested with teens. Yeah. Um, insane. I've never seen that many people at that theater except for Black Panther 2 and Avengers Endgame. I've never seen that theater that packed. But for Five Nights at Freddy, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean... I saw it for other things. I don't know if you saw No Way Home there or anything,
0: but I it's been more remember. packed. Uh, Barbenheimer, too. I mean, we were there for that. that oh, fair amazing. enough. Barbenheimer was also really, really packed. But but this was just way too many teen. I've never seen that many teenagers specifically. Yeah. Way too many. Yeah, I, I could not believe it was that big of a,
1: a cultural phenomenon. With I feel like none. an old I, fucking man. <laughs> for real. And I was hearing all sorts of things. I wanted to get more uh, people that did go on the opening weekend to... Get their stories from it, but yeah, I heard the theater experiences in there was not good at all. That's really um, funny because they're like those,
0: heckling it or something, the
1: teens and like a preteen audience as well. And then, yeah, basically just heckling it or saying all these things, being obnoxious over the top. So,
0: that sounds terrible. Yeah. Glad we did not, uh, I thought it'd be really it. funny if we walked into the Killers of the Flower Moon screening and it was packed with teenagers. Yeah, that would have been cool. <laughs> They're all there They're to all... see the latest entry into pure cinema. Exactly. They had taste. They knew. So, yeah, quite a, a wild time there. If you so and I were was... that age, if you and I were that age, we would have been there to see Killers of the Flower Moon and not <laughs> Five Nights at Freddy's. We would have been those teenagers. Very true.
1: And good for us. And good for us <laughs> still <laughs> being those people that are going do it. Um, so, yeah, we. Uh, We waded through all those teens, got to the IMAX theater for Killers of the Fire Moon, only the best for Scorsese. Um, But yeah, so my my immediate thoughts getting in there were, yeah, I was very jumbled and whatnot, but I was looking forward to getting to just chill for those three and a half hours um, before figuring out if I was going to make it home or not. Um, But yeah, for years, we have been looking forward to this. So, and we... Of course, I've been doing some Scorsese episodes in the lead up to this. So it was a massive, massive event for us uh, cinema fanatics. So let's talk about the actual film itself. If you haven't seen it yet, we will be doing a whole spoilery deep dive. So go and watch the film and then come back and listen to this. But initial impressions, what were your thoughts?
0: Uh, So I've read the book and so i knew the story going into it and by the way for my uh, thing i didn't chose not to read the
1: book in the lead up to it just wanted to experience it for the first time with the uh the film but it's good that yeah you have the perspective of the book to speak on that
0: yeah the book and the movie approach how they reveal information in a very very different way and the movie is very much chronological it's it's one of the more chronological Scorsese movies you'll see, he's not particularly known for bouncing around, but seeing as how the book does bounce around like crazy in the timelines as David Grant is like uncovering information, it's it was surprising to me to see how straightforward Scorsese decided to make the movie, which makes sense considering the perspective he chose to go with, with who he was going to follow as the main characters. But I... I don't know. I didn't like it as much as I was hoping I would. Is my initial impression. I just, I had a high. I guess I had too high of expectations. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It just it was too damn long. <laughs> Way too damn long. Mm-hmm. See, now
1: you sound like an old man. You don't have the the stamina that we used to. If we were I teens love- going in there, we would have been like, yes, perfect.
0: Uh- yeah, when I was a 15-year-old, god, give me a 4-hour Scorsese movie. God, give it to me now, please. No, I just <sighs> I love long movies. I really do. I love Lawrence of Arabia. I really like Once Upon a Time in America. I really like Bridge on the River Kwai. You know, I I I enjoy longer movies because you can when they're done really well. Like you could do a lot with 3 hours. Like you're given so much with that. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like Scorsese in this movie in particular is using that time to his advantage to tell the story. I feel like there's a lot going on that doesn't need to be there. And I feel like the pacing doesn't help because he's intentionally telling the story at a slower pace, which is what he's doing now just in his older age. I guess he's more, he cares more about taking his time, I suppose, which is fine. But with a slower paced movie, that's set at three and a half hours. If you're going to do that, then every scene needs to count. Like if you're going to make it three and a half hours, every scene needs to be there. Like the movie won't function without each scene. You know, you can't have any slack there. And there was a lot of slack, if you ask me. I feel like there was a lot that could have been cut or trimmed down. It didn't need to be as long as it was. And I think the movie suffered for it. Gotcha. For me, I
1: also agree that it wasn't meeting my expectations, which were crazy high. Because again, I was hoping to come in here and be like touting this as, wow, the new latest, greatest Scorsese masterpiece, best of the year, all this, this and that. So it didn't reach that, which is fine. Like those were self-imposed expectations. So, you know, of course. can't blame them for that. And I do think, we'll talk more about it As we go on, but the approach that he took to it, I think very intentionally doesn't lend itself to being the most engrossing version of like this story in this film that would have made, again, like a three hour, three and a half hour thing, maybe move a bit faster, feel a bit more earned for all those scenes. However, I think what he was hoping to accomplish with this I think he did it's just one that wasn't quite what i was anticipating for this film like knowing the background of the story and all this and then knowing scorsese's filmography and the things he's attracted to and what he likes to focus on the version of this that i thought we were going to get was more in line with what he have said the book is sort of about which is more of that like slowly unraveling that mystery bring up these elements of betrayal it has been more of that like crime drama bend to it. And I think it's fascinating that Scorsese clearly could have opted for that. I mean, it's laid out right there in the book from what mm-hmm. I understand, yeah. but he chose to change it up. And actually I guess him and like Leo and all them chose to change it up. Um, Cause initially they were going to go at least with the Tom white character as yep. the, main character, but they came in and they're like, oh, I think it might be more compelling if we switch the perspective to be Ernest Burkhart. And so they did rewrites on that. Leo and Jesse Plemons switched characters. So they maybe initially they were going their route, but somewhere along the way. They found it more interesting to tell the story from the perspective of the killers and get into again, just the the sort of monotony of the evil that's being committed there. Um, And this, this sort of balance between not balance, but the nuance of Burkhart being in this relationship with Molly, but then also doing the worst possible things you could do to a person and to their people um, continuously. And it's like not meant to be surprising to us because we're seeing each step of this happen it's just meant to be even more like depressing and distressing to see it go on and on and on um and that I think is what he was trying to to capture here so i think it's a very successful film i think it's effective in what he was trying to do and so i can't blame him for not making a version of the film that maybe in a more immediate and at least you know superficial level would be more engrossing for that like three and a half hours and keep you more on the edge of your seat and have these twists and turns um that will be very like memorable i think he again instead to approach the story in a way where there aren't many surprises i don't know that there's much of a dynamic change that we're witnessing and a lot of it is just hitting those same beats over and over of like leo and de niro plotting this terrible thing that they're gonna do Getting all these bumbling fools to pretty much carry it out. Violence is committed against those age people, and then there's no accountability, no investigation, no justice for them, and that's the thing that happens over and over again. Which is intentional, I think. It's them trying to showcase like here is essentially the cycle that happened to many, many Native American tribes over that period of time, and so we're just witnessing this particular one as a a sort of showcase of that. So I can understand where he's coming from there. I think he does pull that off. It just wasn't exactly what I was expecting. It maybe didn't hit the the version of the story that probably would have had me, I don't know, invested in it more, but I don't think you can blame him for that. I think he had a very specific idea of what he wanted it to be and executed on that in a very good way i agree with you the length is maybe a bit uh indulgent there i think definitely at least 30 minutes could have been cut out um or at least just more than that yeah you're saying more you're saying like make that a two and a half hour movie i think it could have been two and a half hours
0: yeah. I think this story he was trying to tell could have been two and a half hours. I think if you wanted to make it more investigative and get into the nitty gritty, the details of it, you could make it three hours. But in that case, you're pacing it a little differently. It's becoming an investigative piece where you're unraveling things. And that is more interesting, just on its own, in its own merit, which could justify a longer run time. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to make it three and a half hours and you're going to make it as slow pace as it is. That every scene needs to count and they didn't all count like they there was a lot like you could have cut out whole chunks of scenes out and it right. would have been the same story if not better like it would have had the same effect gotcha so we also should say as well i mean this is based off of
1: one viewing of it this was sort of the like my reaction to oppenheimer was also pretty lukewarm compared to a lot of other people that i know were like the best nolan film ever mm. the best film of this year praising it as like an outright yeah. masterpiece. I did not connect with it on that level. And then same thing with Killers of Flower Moon. And so I'm just wondering if these are, because they're such immense works, not just in the uh, runtime, but in all the things that they're trying to accomplish, all the themes they're dealing with, the spread of the characters as well. It may be something that requires a revisit to get everything out of it that, was planted in there by the filmmakers. So I'm thinking like come Oscar season or maybe like beginning of January when we're working on like our best of lists, I may revisit this just to see um, if there's anything upon second viewing that becomes much more clear and everything sort of locks into place. Um, Cause I think that, you know, could be part of it, but just on the initial viewing having those like expectations built in and then having the movie play out in front of me and those not exactly meshing in the way that I hoped or thought it might. Um, that is sort of, I think what is causing both of us to have a less excited reaction than yeah. we were wanting. I
0: just, I just feel like what I keep reading and what I keep hearing about is that they wanted to make Ernest and Molly the center of the story because that was where all the heart was in the story and from having read the book the heart is molly like it's not molly and ernest it's all molly because the story as it starts out in the book is that her sister is murdered anna who's the who's the second sister we see die in the movie but she's the first sister we hear about we hear loosely that the her she had one sister who passed away from an illness earlier. But the the movie starts with her sister being murdered, like shot in the head. And so that's what starts the book off. And then as it goes on, you find out more about the sister that died before. You find out that her mother was also dying from an illness. You find out slowly that other Indians are dying in the community. And so it's like unraveling that maybe these are connected and it starts to piece these together in the movie. It tells you right off the bat this Indian died, this this person died, this person died, this person died. It just like very cold, blatantly tells you who is dying. And it is immediately implied because they are one by one told that it is all connected. Like it is, there is no investigation in any way. And I understand why Scorsese did it that way. He was trying to make it the movie in this fashion where you can focus on the characters and not about the mystery. But the book finds a way to do both. I mean, granted a book, you have more time to spend on everything. So you have, you know, you have hundreds and hundreds of pages that you can write out full lists of who these people were, how they lived, as well as unveiling information as it goes on. But I feel like if you're going to take three and a half hours, you could do both as well. If you're going to take that time and tell a really, really long story, you could unravel it in a mystery setting that is compelling while also focusing putting the spotlight on Molly at least for the first hour and a half two hours so that she is the centerpiece of the story and that her pain is sort of an analogy for the pain of that community as a a whole because she loses everybody in her family one by one as the book unfolds as the movie unfolds she loses everybody and she is like a very very strong character in the book and I think She's in the movie a lot, but I think she herself gets sidelined a little bit compared to the book, which is a little disappointing. I wish there was more Molly in it, and I wish I could say that Molly was the main character of the movie, but she's not. Ernest Burkhart is the main character of the movie, like without a doubt. It's Leo. Leo is the main character, and if anything, Robert De Niro is the second main character, and Molly is just another side character to Ernest's character. I wish there was more Molly in the movie. Also, the second half of the book focuses on Tom White and his investigation as he's brought in with a newly formed Bureau of Investigation, soon to be the FBI, to go and investigate these murders that are happening in the Osage community. And Tom White is cool as shit. I mean, you learn so much about this guy in the book, and he's really, really cool. He was a Texas Ranger, and like he did all kinds of cool shit. And he was like a – he's like – the book builds on it to be like this – Purebred American hero kind of guy, like he's he's like the, like the like the the pinnacle cowboy. He's such a cool mm-hmm. character, and he's just not in the movie almost at all. He's in maybe ten scenes in total. Maybe has like twenty or thirty lines of dialogue. I mean, he's in the interrogation scene with Leo, which is a good scene. He has the scene where he's talking to his investigators, which is a good scene. But he's really not in it because it's it's Ernest Burkhardt's movie. True. And I think that just makes it a weaker film. Because I don't I couldn't find a lot of heart in the story of Ernest Burkhart being this character who cares so much about his wife and his family but also seeks to betray them in order to earn those head rights and earn that oil money. I just can't see the heart in that story of the pain that he's feeling. And like you get the scene where Leo's in prison and he finds out his child has died and he know has that outburst and it's like a great piece of acting but i can't feel the heart in that story like they want me to and i think it's just hard to because because we know nothing about ernest burkhart like he was a Mm -hmm. a person who we have facts on in reports and in trials but we don't know who he was as a person and from a writing perspective That is already starting off on like a weak foot that you have to write a three and a half hour movie about this character who we don't know what he was like as a person really that much at all. Like we have very little to go on here. Mm -hmm. And David Grant uncovers as much as he can in the book about who they were as people, but there's not a lot of written documentation about these people from the 1920s. There really isn't. So a lot of what's going on with the characters and the dialogue they have and their relationships, that is just, you know, pure imagination on the part of the writers and the actors are just putting it all together about what they might've been like. And I think that's a fault that the movie doesn't realize it's a fault because I mean, I just, I can't find a solid through line with Leo's character here. I can't, I can't piece it together. 100% perfectly. It just doesn't feel like one individual person that he's playing. That is very solid. It doesn't feel like a solid character. Like, it doesn't hold water for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which
1: they're not being much on the real life. Ernest Burkhart probably was what they were like, okay, we have a blank slate. And so we can yeah. create what we want out of this person. Yeah. And he would have thought yeah. that created a much more compelling character, which I think there is, I mean, you can see the the traces of what fascinates Scorsese most about characters. Like, he obviously picks these morally gray characters mm. that are very greedy do a lot of bad things usually in pursuit of money or power just some sort of thing that they need to grab onto um at the expense of the people around them and whatnot and then usually there's a lot of violence that goes hand in hand with that um so it makes sense like looking at his filmography why he was attached to this version of the story yeah and letting letting that play out is again like a wider sort of commentary on the the way that society continuously will produce these types of people that just yeah can do the most awful things and then you also see these other parts where it's like okay maybe there is humanity in there like you had mentioned that you know him breaking down in the cell hearing about the daughter um which again i think the acting was really great there that was one of the few moments where i was like okay i can feel like there's something more yeah to this guy here and that was like a flash of humanity that I could grab onto mm-hmm. but the problem for me with Ernest as the main character and then you had mentioned they wanted to center like Ernest and molly the part that didn't work for me there was just i didn't feel the love particularly i didn't right? see what molly saw in him because we yeah. see like they name it in the dialogue of like her seeing him as a coyote, seeing him as someone that's probably coming around for her head rights. Um, and so would just be using her. She calls this out like a few times and they do have one of the sisters be like, Oh, he is uncle has money. So he's not coming after you for the money or anything like that. But it's like, I mean, y'all have seen this pattern of people that probably do already come from some bit of wealth, but yet they're still trying to, grab more and grab more yeah um so i was like okay maybe that's the explanation they were saying there if she's like oh yeah he he does already have money so maybe it is genuine um but even in the conversation they have like their first date whenever they're doing dinner he says like oh i just love money and like i can't wait to get this and oh i don't want to work a day i just want to be able to like sit back and relax with a bunch of money um and I think it, that's the conversation, too, where she says like, oh, coyote. So if you, which is good, like I remember like Barry Sandler would talk about this a lot of if you have a character that is unable to see so clearly what the audience can see and the, what the other character portrays. It's just like somebody who's a slimy bad guy and you have them get tricked by that. And there's not a good enough reason for them to be tricked by that will lose a connection with that character because it just doesn't compute. It doesn't feel like it it works. And so on one hand, it's like that just doesn't make sense. On the other hand, it's possibly you're losing respect for that character because you're like, how could you have fallen for that? They went out of their way to showcase Molly as someone that can clock these people that are just trying to use her. Right. But then she still falls for Ernest, but I didn't feel like they had enough of like him being this charismatic character or at Mm -hmm. least it's like the lovable oaf character that she would fall for him in spite of the fact that she probably knows deep down she, he might be coming to her initially to get that money. So that was the the real hurdle for their relationship is I just didn't see what Molly saw. In earnest, to where she would go against her very strong instincts of this guy's probably come after me for my money first and foremost. So, yeah, that was just a tough, tough yeah. thing there. I couldn't buy into that.
0: Um, I have a, I have a problem with with understanding Ernest's like motivations because they're trying to convince me that he cares about money a lot and wants Molly's money and her family's money and he's willing to do the most horrible and despicable things to do it. But at the same time, he still cares about Molly and cares about their kids and cares about the family that they have. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the lengths of despicability that he goes to in the movie combined with the like only very few scenes of remorse that he has. I feel like it doesn't stick the landing for like, am I supposed to, sympathize with him or empathize at least a little bit of like oh you're in this terrible situation and obviously you're you're a greedy bastard and you want this money and you're horrible but like you do care i don't i can't i can't do both like i can't understand why he would care like it doesn't make sense to me right i think you know
1: that for me that didn't uh come up as an issue too much. Just because it's all, also like, yeah, that the contradiction inherently of like doing those awful things, but then still like going to bed every night with this person and saying you love them. And then you're like plotting the bombing
0: of her sister. And, like There's not with, like, enough scenes things. of like him being conflicted. Like he says he's conflicted, but he goes and he does it, these things without any hesitation. Like he will right. immediately go and grab somebody to be like, go find this person, kill them, go plant the bomb, blow up the house. Like he there's no hesitation whatsoever. When he goes to drug her with, like, the stuff, there's a little bit of him that... There's the one scene that I thought was good where he, like, takes a little bit and drinks it himself to, like... Yeah, I thought that was a really great ...keep scene. her from taking some. I thought that worked, but there's, like, it's, like, the only one. There needs to be more of that. Because you have been drugging her the entire time this movie's been going on. Like, right. you've been drugging her and killing her family, and this is the first time you're hesitating and the only time you're hesitating. There's got to be more of that. Yeah, but I thought... um Because that idea,
1: like, it comes up in real life, right, with these abusive households. So where people can at once be like, oh, I love you, but then also do awful things to you. And then there's also the element of, like, the racism that's going on here, of, like, they see these Native Americans as lesser, so it doesn't matter as much if they get killed off, things like that, which they never really make explicit in any way. We don't see, like, Ernest ever being, like, outwardly, racist or talking bad we see de niro make some like awful comments under his breath here and there but again he there's not like a major showy
0: moment where he's just like completely disparaging them or whatnot. it's It's crazy that they have the undercurrent's wild because they speak their language and they're like in their meetings and like with their people and they still look at them as lesser people which is crazy i thought robert de niro's character was very good I was I like he's an old guy and he's playing a 42 year old, which isn't great. But other than (laughs) that, other than that, I thought his character was written well and I thought he acted it out very, very well. Like I thought that whole because in in the book, he's the same person. He's the he's like the chief white person who is in contact with the Osage tribe. Like he is like the white savior of the book. And then the twist in the book is that you find out that he's actually the one who is in charge of like, or who is, who's bringing on a majority of these murders. Like you find mm-hmm. out that he's actually like a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Like that is a, it was a great twist in the book and they didn't, they decided not to carry it out in the movie as a twist, which is fine. I think that's fine. But I do like that. They kept his character intact as somebody who is, deviously a wolf for sure like within this community and he's he is so good in the, like his, his performance is fantastic he feels so sympathetic at times like he's he is at their weddings he's at their funerals he is praying over uh uh, uh molly's sister who's dying in their language like for her mm-hmm. and he is still plotting their deaths for their money yeah I thought, I thought his character was great yeah I thought
1: it was a great execution of a very sinister character that would leverage his own uh closeness with that community. Like and he had mentioned as well he was like helping them uh as he got it like progress into the uh twentieth century. Um but yeah he would like do all these things. Like we see the he opens up a dance studio or whatnot. So like helping them out in various ways, but then he is yeah making an effort to like learn their language and feel like he's a part of it. He imparts that lesson onto Ernest of like you need to learn the language like study this book look at their culture but of course it's not because he has any respect for them it's because he wants to know better ways to ingratiate himself to them so that he's not suspected for being the one that's destroying them and rotting their community from the inside out he is despicable yeah so I thought that was good um for sure the other thing there of yeah like their perspective of Ernest and Uh, William Hale De Niro's character rather than from the Osage right rather from Molly which I was wondering about that like midway through the movie when she starts getting you know poisoned as part of that her insulin shot I mean she does get sidelined and I imagine that's probably true to the real life thing and what was in the book of her being bedridden so yeah I yeah it's sort of a thing of like in real life and in the plot it's like she has to be sidelined in this way and they do you know, try to still feature her a lot um, in that way. But yeah, it does get tough at a certain point in the story to still prominently feature her. But I do think like that beginning part could have benefited from having more of it be like her perspective and seeing, as you said, like these important people to her and around the community start to just drop Mm -hmm. dead. And so she's just reckoning with that. Um, But yeah, I I don't know. And then as well, it being like Scorsese, like I can see why they were hesitant to be like, okay, if we're going to be telling the story, maybe we don't try and do it from the Osage perspective as a bunch of white filmmakers. But again, that brings up the idea of like, should they have passed it off to somebody else to do it? Um, So that's a question. And then, yeah, the FBI thing we had talked about already of deciding not to make it that more like investigative crime drama. Uh, instead, honing in on these two very despicable evil characters, seeing how their greed is able to motivate them to do these awful actions, and it just comes out so nonchalantly and casually for them. Um, and, yeah, I think we both pinpointed why, at least with like the earnest character, it wasn't entirely hitting like that moral grayness, whatever nuance he was trying to have there, mm-hmm. um, didn't didn't quite click in order to make that approach to the whole film, yeah. doing it from those killers' perspectives, yeah. um, to be the best version of it, at least for us. Again, I think some people will definitely be able to connect to it in a great way. Again, maybe second viewing, some of these I uh, little subtler elements of like Ernest will be able to come through.
0: But I just, just I think,
1: yeah, it was difficult to latch on to yeah. his genuine love for Molly. And then as well, Molly's like, whatever attracted her to him and if that's like the bedrock of the whole thing is like we're going to witness this man do these terrible actions to a woman's community while simultaneously professing his love to her and saying that he can like have this family like do these awful things and then still still actually keep her company and all this um if that's the bedrock of it you'd had to establish their love i think in a really solid way yeah, but we already saw their love was like poison from the get go. Like we see he was being directed by William to go meet with her, and we see a couple scenes with them together, but I don't know that we got enough of that genuine like, Oh, what a great couple that we're gonna see slowly Yeah break apart as he continuously
0: does those awful things to her. It's just if you're gonna have a character that's morally grey, like Ernest Burckhardt's supposed to be in the movie, then I need to have like a mixed feeling about him as a result of those morally gray actions and thoughts. And I just hated him the whole movie. I just hated him because he's a, he's a murderer and he's greedy and he's just an evil, evil person. And I don't, I'm not bought into any feelings that he has from my because from the get go, it is, he is in it to scam them. Like that is from the get go, what it is. And if they were going to do that at some point, there needs to be a moment where I feel like, he genuinely like loves her and doesn't really want to do this, but decides to do it anyway. Either from loyalty to his uncle or greed that he has, but I didn't have that moment of like, oh, he he doesn't want to do this. But he, other than him drinking the thing during the fire scene, which was a great scene, I just didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. Right. Yeah, and Morley Gray probably isn't even
1: the right word for it because nothing he's doing is even remotely possible to be considered yeah. good. A, like it's hard to awful, make him the like protagonist. The seeds a of like, protagonist. Yeah, seeds of a little bit of humanity that they wanted to have in there so that we could follow along with them. Um, I just yeah. don't know that they, they were solid enough for that. Um, another thing I wanted to mention was we talked about You had mentioned like Scorsese, especially in these later movies. Like, he slows things down a lot more. He has much more of a meditative pace. Um, The very beginning of it, when we see that like black and white uh, sort of reel of the Osage once they have started getting all that money from the discovery of oil on their community. um, And then they're like driving around those cars and their fashion has been upgraded and all that. We see that. And then Ernest's arrival as well with. Mm -hmm a one take tracking shot following him that was very much in the mold of Scorsese and then after that he sort of switched into you know late Scorsese of this much more restrained approach so I thought that was fascinating that he sort of like opened it up he knows like he knew like yeah this could have been a old school Scorsese type of film leaning into the crime drama stuff and so he gave like a little flash of that but then quickly changed it to what he more so wanted to focus on, which um, I just thought it was fascinating that he had that in there. And then other like standout moments in here, I thought the speech from the elder or chief, I don't know if he was an elder at that point, but when he was going around and um, like mentioning the need for the community to get together and then also to fight back against what was happening to them and to try and seek help at like Washington D.C. or just like find some way for this to stop happening I thought he was very moving really well uh, acted there Um, a lot of the the ceremonies that they were featuring I'm assuming like this being such a big project Scorsese being at the helm like all this was very much culturally accurate Mm -hmm. a lot of those things were were pretty great Um, the bombing scene was extremely intense yeah. really well done awful that her getting lifted off the ground and like part of her head staying stuck to that like wooden platform or whatever that she was on Ah, uh, just so so yeah. awful that was one moment i guess of leo like witnessing the terror mm-hmm. that he and his uncle are placing onto all these people and seeming to regret a bit of it i thought that was well done um and then when William had was burning the fields, which is That's a little great, great moment man. too of the and being like, I just, I just uh, sort of got fired jealousy sure. for this man, yeah. <laughs> and then it's getting burned up in front of him. So it Looks like you're out three thousand um, dollars. So yeah, that was fantastic. But yeah, those images were beautiful, like the yeah shimmer of the heat and then the silhouettes. It was just beautiful. Like it looked like a legitimate painting in motion. So that was, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, But yeah, any other
0: things for you that stick out or that you wanted to discuss? Yeah. I've had a trouble. I've had a a hard time connecting with some of Scorsese's movies as of late in the last 10 or so years. The last one that I like truly loved was Wolf of Wall Street, of course, but I will Mm -hmm. say he does know how to end a movie really really well still like I thought that of the Irishman, which was another movie I was kind of lukewarm on. I thought the ending was fantastic where it just ends on that doorway that he's looking through while he's in the hospital room and he's dying and he's he's everyone he knows is dead and he's alone that mm-hmm. like singular shot through the doorway I thought that was fantastic and I thought the end here with the little radio show as a as the wrap up instead of having just text over it they do like the it's like a 60s kind of thing you are doing the radio show. It's a live thing. They're doing all the noises and stuff, and they're recounting all the people, and then people doing the voices and stuff. I mm-hmm. thought that was really clever, and I really liked it. And I liked Scorsese's cameo, like the little meta thing he did, stepping out and giving that commentary about Molly and her family and what happened to her. And mm-hmm. Because she is the heart of the story, I really, really like that. And then the end with the the drum circle is just fantastic. So like, I think he can really end a movie really, really well. It's just so- getting there that... I have issues. Gotcha. Yeah, I also thought that was a crazy
1: way to end it. Could not have predicted that as the uh, the ending they went with. But yeah, it was very much fascinating. A clever way as well to do the whole, you know, biopics whenever they have the final title cards at the end that say what happened to each of the people involved. This was their method of doing that. But then simultaneously, it's also commenting on. The way that certain tragedies such as this can be commodified basically, turned into entertainment. Yeah. The whole like true crime industry very much mm-hmm. is about this. Um and it's not to say this is like something that was purely made as a way to make money. Like I think the book itself, and I'm sure like Sarsezzi and all the people that were attached to this, they saw it as a very important story to tell, important yeah. to shine a light on this thing that again was like swept under the rug for so long um as a larger commentary on again all the horrible things that have happened to native american communities uh in the past 200 years when you know it was america expanding so i think i think it was a great way to touch on that and acknowledge like yes like we're a bunch of like white filmmakers predominantly coming in behind the scenes to make this film um but there was i think A passion i think a legitimate interest in making sure that the parties involved like all the osage community i know they brought in a lot of advisors a lot of people to make sure that things were being accurate culturally historically um, and that they were being represented in a way that they would find proper and meaningful so i thought it was just a fascinating way to include that include that idea of like making something an entertainment spectacle um when it's built off of like all these horrible tragedies. But then Scorsese being the one to like deliver that final bit about Molly, which I think does help showcase like, yeah, Ernest may have been the main character and entry point that he had for it. But I think he understands like, this is mainly about like the tragedy of Molly of like losing all of her family, the person that she was married to being the culprit for all of that. And then having to go on with the rest of her life. And we just get that like little moment of, Oh, she remarried and then in her obituary nothing was mentioned of the these murders just a very tragic life and for her to like go on after all that um just the strength that she would have to have to do that so i think Scorsese says he wanted to give a nice spotlight to that at the mm-hmm. end of the day and so him being the one to do that himself his own voice his own face being the one to read that out i mm-hmm. thought that was a very fascinating touch that he had there yeah i agree Anything else you want to touch on? Uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention Brendan Fraser and
0: uh, John Lithgow coming in with that uh, the courtroom drama part so, of the film. So short. I had the exact opposite feeling about this movie that I did at Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, I didn't like how long those court proceedings were. This one was like, there were no court proceedings. I wanted more. I wanted to see what else ha- would happen in the courtroom with Brendan Fraser and John Lithgow. And they were barely in the movie. Very true. Brendan Fraser is domineering in this movie. I mean, my God, the the physicality of him and like the look in his eyes. He's a very right. like dominating presence, especially when he looms over Leo. hmm Yeah. You know what Scorsese said about him? No, what?
1: <laughs> you said there, like, the the domination, like, the physicality. Scorsese's like, yeah, he's got that girth to him. He's <laughs> a big guy that was able to essentially do what you were saying there, like, loom over Leo and all that. Just that phrasing of it, I thought it was the girth. <laughs> he's got that girth, <laughs> takes up the frame, you know. Scorsese so, he's a funny guy, <laughs> he is, dude. Have you also seen it's like the best thing ever? The little clip, it's like 30 seconds of Scorsese just laughing, like all these, like a super cut of him laughing and in interviews no. and things like that. I'm gonna send it to you.
0: It's like, just a laughing?
1: I've seen it come up a couple of times and i watch it through at least three times over each time. And I'm just smiling the whole time. It's just so, it just fuels you with life, man. It's amazing. So yeah, I'll send it to you. He's got a funny <laughs> laugh. Um But yeah, I think, I think that's good. In terms of the performances, what did you think of there? You mentioned De Niro.
0: I think De Niro um, was the standout here. I think he, as as simple as his character was like I mean he's a character who's just a wolf in sheep's clothing like i said like he he is the sneaky bastard in the movie but he just he is very very good at playing the role convincingly like he's just so in it per- like like completely that i just fully believe him i thought leo wasn't as strong as he could be and i think that has to do a lot with like the complexities of the character not being told as well as they could have been I thought Lily Gladstone was really, really good and really, really strong in the role. I just was also very confused by a lot of her character motivations, which didn't help. I thought Jesse Plemons, for as little of it that he's in, I thought he still was. I thought he played like the role of like the the, the purebred like American sheriff coming in to just do good. I thought he he did it pretty well. Like he's very he's a very simple actor. Mm-hmm. He's playing a very simple role, and it worked. And then a did lot you see, of. Those- uh, he no longer has that girth yeah you seen that he's lost a lot of weight yeah he looks great great.
1: yeah so yeah this uh yeah he was good his standout moment showing up at the door and being like i'm here about the murders he's like why see who's doing them just it it's always got a a great line simple classic good stuff also delivers that line really well he does but him being like come on son to Leo yeah he's like way younger which again because Leo's supposed to be playing someone who's like 20 something right so funny yeah to do that. but uh yeah he was he could, really good change that line yeah it doesn't have to be come on son I want to give a shout out to um there's one I don't know his name but he was part of those like FBI agents he was the one that was Native American Mm-hmm. he went to go that one dude with the stash uh, yeah. he was the one that came up to his house and arrested him which I thought that was a great moment too like you just see him there with his family there's like four kids around and he shows up and arrests them and it's mm-hmm. like yeah, cause this dude went out committed a murder on behalf of these other guys um, and just threw his life away and it's like he wasn't good at it he's not like an assassin but he went to do it he's just like, an idiot yeah, get
0: some Good of my money. it's somebody. like such a fool, such an idiot. Same what, thing a with wild, the what a wild sequence of him like turning into a narrator where he's just narrating him hanging out with this guy a bunch. And then oh, yeah. the last time they hang out, he's like, I guess I'll just oh, do it. God. And then just kills Terrible. him. Terrible. Yeah.
1: It's like, how do you even, you literally befriended him. You had said he was like, oh yeah, I became one of my best friends. And then you still are able to just kill him for, again, like, how much were they paying him? It wasn't. It's like, wild how do you just do that for money at all? But then for whatever little amount you were going to get anyway, just, I don't get it. The other thing too, of the, um, the character that had also committed some of the murders, the one that killed Anna, him getting his wife killed, I guess. And then her kids, I don't even think it was his kids. Yeah, it was her kids and he was going to adopt them. And so he was talking Mm -hmm. to the one lawyer it was like, so about the head rights, if I adopt those kids and then kill them, do the head rights go to me? The like, like, uh, are you telling me that you plan on adopting the kids just so you can kill them? Um, or I guess he had said, like, if they die. Yeah. Uh, would they just go to kill me? Them, and he, he, go, he goes, it sounds he like goes, you're going to
0: try to kill them. <laughs> he goes, not if I don't get the head rights. <laughs> yeah. Just terrible. So cool. stuff like that. of like these people that
1: have absolutely no, like, humanity in them able to just so casually speculate about murdering these native american people yeah awful truly awful so i thought yeah yeah, a lot of those moments uh were good that had very dark comedy bend to them but again it's just partially of like how could this be real and it was real like it is real to this day i mean there are people that are like that which is so horrifying but yeah great stuff there uh i thought Leo was great as ever. Um, there were definitely a lot of moments. You called one out again. The stuff in the cell, I thought a lot of that. He did well. There was the one they gave him one big argument scene where he was trying to get her to take the insulin, and she like didn't want to get it from those two doctors that came up. Um, so they gave him that. Uh, and then I thought Lily Godstone was really, really good at having a much more beneath the surface kind of performance again mm-hmm. she's never really given a moment where there's like this huge outburst even when she like confronts leo at the end and is essentially asking like what was in the the insulin like did you do all this horrible stuff and then mm-hmm. he lies about it she doesn't cuss him out or do all this isn't this that you just see her face and then she gets up and leaves so i think a lot of that was just beautifully yeah. told from her face from her eyes um, so, yeah, I thought that was a, a standout performance. But again, yeah, De Niro was great. I thought Leo was also great. So, yeah, really strong performances around the board. Now, how many wolves in this picture out of five do you give this movie? Wolves in this picture. It was such a, a quick moment in the film. I thought from the trailer they were going to hype that up a bit more. Um, yeah,
0: it's a really good moment. In the tra- It
1: was a really good trailer. The it is. The yeah. first trailer is so good. Truly fantastic, yeah. So how many wolves in this picture i think also just a side note this is unrelated to anything but when's the last time leo did a role in his normal accent my guy loves taking roles where he's just putting on an accent wolf of wall street was close he was doing a bit of a new york accent but it was close right right but yeah he was still putting that on like trying to have the new york accent did he have an accent in the revenant it's a good question. I can't remember. Can't remember either. A lot of it was him grunting and heaving, so I can't remember what his dialogue sounded like. Um, I wonder if Don't Look Up, if he had an accent in that. Maybe that would be the one, but everything else, I feel like. Oh, was,
0: it's probably yeah. Don't Look Up. I think you He you're puts right. up an accent.
1: Um, but yeah, how many wolves in this picture? I think I'm
0: going with 3.5. I think I'm also going to go with 3.5. Gotcha. So, Which is sad. It is, I was
1: hoping yeah. So be more, but there's always a rewatch that can change things. Maybe it unlocks. Things I towards. don't think I'm
0: gonna rewatch this movie. Oh, three dang. and a half hours is a long time. Dang, he said, no mas. It's a heavy commitment for a movie that I gave three and a half stars. Right. And that was the thing with Up and Number Two, where I was like
1: trading back and forth whether I was gonna do it. But for says come on, I might do that. Um, but yeah, man. fascinating that our two analysis on them. I think neither of us went below a four. And then this new one, it fell below I think on Silence, five. you went below
0: four, didn't no, you? No, I said four. One of them went below. Oh, I think on uh, Age of Innocence, didn't I give it a three and a half?
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, that's true. I think we both did. <laughs> so Age of Innocence, yeah, would be the, the other one that we gave, 3.52. Although, again, I think that has so much... Good quality
0: in it. Like there's a lot of merits to it. Yeah, his um, filmmaking just, is always excellent. Always yeah, excellent. The exactly. only problems I ever have with his movies is the storytelling itself. But his filmmaking choices are always has has always been and always will be on point. He knows how to tell a story. It's just the story he's telling sometimes is told like the 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 script is not always tight. But right. yeah, but the the way he tells the story. With the filmmaking techniques that he has is always incredible for sure great way to put it well all right
1: there we go killers of the flower moon the latest scorsese picture there we go we finally were able to finally. watch it and discuss it
0: thank god that is all the time we have we'd like to give your thoughts on the show you can email us at the box office show pod at gmail.com our main title theme for the show is "Sundown" by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, please give us five stars out of a podcast app you're listening to, and be sure to tune in next week. For your